0: This episode is brought to you in partnership with Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary, which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. They are fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, cbtseminary.org.
1: Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective.
0: We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ exalting. Now, let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Jimmy Johnson here with Austin McCormick, and we have the privilege of having Creston Thomas, Pastor Creston Thomas, on with us (laughs) to, to discuss church planning. So, Creston, just to start us off, will you tell us about yourself, your family, and what led you to plant Christ the Redeemer Church? And tell us a little bit about that.
2: Hey, what's up, brothers? Uh, thank you again uh, for, for this great opportunity uh, to share with you guys about myself and about the work here in Pine Bluff. Um, again, my name is uh, Creston Thomas. Um, I'm married to Alina. Uh, we have um, six uh, amazing children uh, we have actually six kids under the age of seven and under and so um uh just been a been a joy and um as our um we recently uh, my wife recently gave birth to our son Benaya, on october the 2nd and so uh it's just been a joy uh just uh, seeing um uh, how the lord has blessed our family with so many beautiful children uh but yeah so i um Born and raised in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I don't know if you guys ever been to Arkansas before, but um, um, it's about 45 minutes south of Little Rock. And born here and uh, born um, in the area, of, uh, in the inner city. Uh, my dad uh, was a deacon in the church and uh, my mom, uh, she served in the church. So I grew up in the house uh, in a Christian home. And for me, I uh, never thought in a day in my life uh, for I'll be pastoring here at the moment. And so, so it's been a joy, man, a journey uh, what, the, what the Lord has done from bringing me from Pine Bluff to, to be pastoring back in Pine Bluff. And so, um, but a little bit about the journey. Uh, how did I become a pastor and how did, it, how did I come back to Pine Bluff is um, I went to high school here in Pine Bluff. And, and, and like I in the area I grew up in was an uh, inner city. Uh, a lot of uh, your your typical games, your your crips and your folks, and and a lot of draws, uh, all throughout throughout our community. Um, but my dad, he was uh, a working a working guy, and he just wanted the best for his family, and so uh, he kept us out of the streets. And many of the kids that was in a lot of trouble, they actually would come to our home, and our home was always open for our community and uh, play a lot of basketball with these guys. And um, but uh but over time, we moved out of, out of that particular house, and my dad built a house on the opposite side of town, and I graduated high school and uh, after I graduated high school, I uh, went out to college at a university of Memphis, and I studied engineering um, but right before I asked that, before I went off to college, um, I came to know the Lord, I was the the last one in the family to come to know the Lord. my dad was scratching his head about me like what's going on with this kid and because uh, my all my brothers they came to know the lord at a young age um but for myself um like for me seeing just seeing uh christians living double lives and things of that nature man i said man why do i even need jesus in this but over time the lord showed my own heart that um i'm looking at everybody else but i was depraved myself and i needed a savior and so over time the lord just brought me from death to life and so I never was disciple at this time. My dad did the best he could with, with Bible study in the home, um, but you know when I went off to college at the University of Memphis, uh, when I met Alina, uh, Alina she has a she's a Laotian. and so her uh, pastor um, at a church was a uh, he was a Laotian. It was a more of a church full of uh, refugees, and never thought I'd be a church with guys from Southeast Asia. And um, man, they just loved on me, loved on me and just started to decipher me and pour into me. And for myself, um, uh, the guy named Todd Mismapunt, the one that poured into me, um, he reached out to me about seminary and I said, man, I don't need no seminary, man. I got you. I don't need seminary. I got the internet. And so I never thought I'd be going to seminary, but over time, man, I just start searching, man, and searching God's word and searching uh, over the internet and. Got introduced to John Calvin and uh, August, uh, Augustine and Tertullian and all these different guys. And all of a sudden, um, the pastor that discipled me, I had a million questions for him. And, and, uh, and I just kept going with these questions. And eventually, uh, I went out to, uh, to seminary. And I didn't know the difference between you know conservative or liberal. I just wanted to go study more of the Bible. And so I did my first year at Baylor uh, Seminary. And when I went to Baylor, um, I was there about a year. And um, after staying there about a year, uh, I got introduced to um, Southern Seminary and the the conservative resurgence and er inerrancy and infallibility and all that good stuff. So I went out to Louisville, Kentucky, and Alina and I was married at the time. And um, we went out to Louisville, Kentucky, and that's when I got a Master of Divinity in Biblical and Theological Studies. And... um, I studied the languages there and traveled to Israel several times and got really interested in doing biblical linguistics. And, but uh, coming back visiting my pa- family in Pine Bluff, had just had a heart for the city of Pine Bluff and the inner city. And, and the Lord just turned my fishing back home to Pine Bluff. And so I moved back to Pine Bluff, and not knowing what it was going to look like to plant a church. Um, but I moved back and um, just uh, was trying to see how to start a work in Pine Bluff. Arkansas. So um was was that another question in there? I'm sorry.
1: No, I I think you got it
0: covered. And yeah, Creston, we want to talk with you about the last thing that you just mentioned, uh your heart for coming back to Pine Bluff and starting a church plant. So, um our next question for you is what is church planting for our audience that may not know and what is the biblical rationale for doing this?
2: Yeah, yeah, good question. Um uh one th- one thing I just left out was uh in-, in the state of Arkansas, it's just very limited um on confessional reformed churches. And so um the closest um confessional reformed church uh, we know of is um say Cincinnati Nine Church is um uh, Grace Bible Church of Jeff Johnson and Danny Thursby. Uh they're about an hour and a half away. And so you know, me and my wife we moved uh back to Arkansas and Say, hey, we can just drive an hour and a half every Lord's Day. And and we were just praying through it. And we visited a couple of times. We just said, hey, it's just be so difficult for community. And uh in our particular community, uh, it's a lot of like say SBC churches in the sense of a lot of um churches around that say hold to the Baptist faith and message and things of like that. But for us, uh it was just difficult to find another reformed church. So what we had to do, we had to just be a, be a part of a church that wasn't a um Reformed Church. because uh, the church I came from was um the Reformed Baptist Church of Louisville, uh with Jim Savasio. And so um but by me coming back to Arkansas, I took a job with GE to come back. Uh it was just difficult to um be a part of a reformed church. And so so for us is that hey, how can we be patient, man? How does this look with church planning and um how to do it? And so for us, it took us a little time to actually uh, see how we can get the Ashley work done. And so, um, but there's a, many different ways uh, you hear so many different books that are published on Ashley church planning. If you go search on church planning books, man, there's some thousands of books on people writing on, on Ashley church planning. So at time, man, it can get kind of confusing at time. You now what's the actual approach, uh, biblical approach uh, do you have? Is it just so much freedom in church planning? And so, for us starting out, it was just like, where to start in this? And so um, you have two main models, um, like the model of this core group model um, that's very popular today, like several individuals at a, um, at a church would go out sharing the gospel and, and they get enough people to join their core group, then they are start a church from that. And another model would be uh, seeing uh, a need for a church. In a certain area and then send over about 50 members to to plant an actual church um, after seeing a need after sending a say two or three people to work in a certain area in a city area um, then you say hey let's send about 50 members of a church over to help put a, put together work to bring about a um, a healthy church in that particular community and so um but church planning, man i always seen it as it's not like a restaurant like a franchise which is let's just try to figure out how many people that could possibly shop at this particular restaurant then decide to actually put an actual restaurant in that place uh church planning is a work done by the sovereign lord uh we see two healthy uh types of church plantings uh, i see um mostly i see is that uh, someone um they hear the gospel from somebody they hear the gospel somebody has shared the gospel with them and and their heart is on fire for the gospel um, on a fire that they're, they're seeking for a good healthy solid church and it just uh for them they just find it difficult man to find a good healthy solid church in the area and they've been praying and praying for the Lord to send someone their way to to pastor them and care for them and all of a sudden, the Lord answered prayers and the lord. Um, send uh, someone to ask you to plant their church. And I think that's how the Reformed Baptist Church Louisville with Jim Sebastio actually started. There was a group there in Louisville. They was praying, uh, I think, for a while, for the Lord to send someone to lead them. Um, they they got introduced to, uh, to Reformed theology, and um, they just needed someone to lead them in. And, and so they prayed for a while, and all of a sudden, I think Jim graduated from the Trinity Academy with uh, Al Martin up there, um, Uh, I think in the Northeast, and so Jim came down and actually started to uh, pastor there, and lead that church. And so I think that's another model there for a a group of people in 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 a community. They hear the great doctrines of the faith, and um, they have been a part of churches, and they just haven't seen it. And so they just start praying and trusting the Lord. And over over time, the Lord just sends somebody to lead them. And so. Um, but on the other side of this, another model is, um, on the opposite side of this is a, uh, a church, um, a church, a healthy, solid church. Um, the church is growing well, and, um, the church is healthy, plurality of elders, uh, but a church, um, they see, a on the opposite side of the town, they see, uh, just a need, uh, for another church. They see it's just a lot of brokenness, uh, it's not any gospel it's any churches. And so for them, um, they're praying that, hey, how can we get over there um, and actually start a work in that particular community? So an elder might go over to start like a Baba a study or might start um, doing some evangelism over and on the opposite side of town and just start loving on that community and doing the work. Then over time, man, um, uh, some people might respond to the gospel. And next thing you know, you might see a uh, community starts responding to the gospel. And and those two or three people that left a particular church, or not say left a church, but a church allowed them to, to minister out um, on the opposite side of town. Uh, next thing you know, a church supports them to go ahead and form an actual church from that particular um, work that they're doing. And so, um, so it's always uh, something is that um, someone is sent out of doing the work, and someone is actually waiting for someone to be sent to actually pastor them and, and care for them and so but the biblical rationale and I, and I said all this like how 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 does this look biblically um man um, uh, i think um what Paul was doing throughout the book of acts um um during this time of the the growth of the, uh, the apostles um he was going out you know just uh, to these different areas, Ephesus and Corinth and, um, doing a major work of, um, uh, raising up men and pouring to men evangelizing and, uh, planting seeds in these areas. And, uh, then he'd go back years later and then go back and care for him and teach him some more, um, put elders in place. Uh, but what's a little bit different from us and what, what happened in the day of Paul was, uh, it was the time of the apostles. Uh, today, um, we don't have any apostles today and so today it's uh it's a little bit different because um the apostles so you know the scriptures is finished uh, God's word is finished and right now we don't need any more apostles God word is finished and so what the apostles was doing was actually um help establishing the churches and and if you notice um in acts what nineteen and twenty we see when paul went to uh, the place of ephesus um he went there and and those that was there many of them were Um, there, and they received the word, and Paul stayed there and poured into them, and next thing you know, we have some elders that were established in this region, and so it's like Paul was actually setting the foundation of, um, like, passing the torch, you know, to the elders in the sense of, you know, like I said, not the apostolic succession, what we see in the papacy, but in the sense of starting in the sense of that, now the elders, in the sense of now, can actually start to pastor these churches, and So that's when you see it. So after the apostles are uh, martyrs of the faith and um, after that happened, now what you see in this early church in the first and second centuries, you see elders, you see elders and that are leading the astral churches. And so um, sort of biblical rationales of planting churches, we see it. Uh, Another another place we see it as well in, uh, in first Peter, Um, Peter, which was a uh, pastor there in Jerusalem. um, He was, you know, um, pastor church or mega church that we know of, and he will actually care for the members. And he actually, you see in first Peter one, how he has called and exhorted to people to actually live a life of holiness. Then, and, um, and then in chapter two, he, um, he goes further and, 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 um, challenging them and and encouraging them to, to live out the faith, uh, properly. Then in chapter three, he actually, he goes in, I think it's, um, um, he goes in and, and, and talks about the, um, given the reason of the hope that is in us and uh, the defense of this faith that we have. And so Peter's already setting the groundwork there in the church is that uh, be ready to get a defense. And uh, and this defense he's referring to is is just not in a sense of just in this local body setting, which he already dealt with in first chapter one and chapter two, how we should be living holy lives but in chapter three is that we should be living holy lives, being ready to give uh, those who ever ask us of the hope that is in us. And so we always should be ready to give this defense of the faith. And and why is Peter saying this? Uh, Peter is saying this right here because of Peter seeing the need and the sense of that for the nations to actually to hear the gospel proclaimed, not just proclamation through evangelism, but also how we carry ourselves. And so, and that's why you see mostly the, the healthy part of churches starting out is uh, not just we see as we're going around and you know, asking people questions about, you know, um, do they know Christ? Who is Christ? Uh, we saw a lot of people in the early first and second centuries. Um, we even saw it when Paul was actually put, uh, put before uh, the Roman council that uh, they asked Paul these questions. And they ask them these questions because they see the difference on how he lived and how he carried himself. And so as Christians, how we carry ourselves, uh, that should bring the nations to us to ask us the hope that is in us. And so, and by doing that, uh, we give them the, the greatest news uh, that we ha- that, that, that exists. And, um, and so one reason we do it is by how we carry ourselves, but also we do go out. We go out and we proclaim the gospel to unreached areas. Um, and we shouldn't be ashamed of doing that as well.
1: Yeah. Amen. I mean, to to all of that. And just the rationale there is that in order to do those things, you have to have churches in the area, right? <laughs> if yeah, if there are yeah, no churches, exactly. then there is nobody living and sharing the gospel in those regions. Um moving on, you, you mentioned elders. Um, so I'm guessing that that will be related to how you answer this next question, but what are some of the qualifications of a church planter, and what are some questions that someone should ask themselves before they consider planting a church?
2: Yeah, uh, most definitely. um, Man, um, a a church planter must be qualified. Um, Those qualifications are there for a reason. Um, God, he knows his creation, he knows mankind, Um, he knows uh, the need. And so those qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, um, those things are, uh, are required. I think so many church plants fail because of not taking heed to those passages. Because church planting is very difficult. And it will reveal your character over time. And if you notice, even in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, if you look over those texts, um, for the most part, I think um, you got one thing to talk about teaching there in 1 Timothy 3, but the rest of the verses deal with character. Um, if you don't have the character, um, it's just not gonna last. It's going not gonna last because uh, starting to work uh, from from say from scratch, uh, you're gonna deal with a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are new to so many different things and, um, and you're gonna have to, care, have to care for them. You're gonna have to care for them. You've got to love them through it. But, um, and they're gonna see everything. They're gonna see a lot of things that you might try to hide within character. Um, and your people are gonna be able to sniff it out. They better sniff a lot of those things out. And what is gonna happen is that it's gonna bring about a lot of a sense of, um, a, a lot of sense of turmoil and, 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 and um, it's the foundation is not gonna be solid at all. Uh, when the character is not there and and also is that a person just uh they already be disqualified you know not having those um characters that we see in um uh, first timothy three and um and, and titus one uh, so they must be pa- uh they must be blameless um it must be patient and i mean self controlled. i mean seriously like self-control is, is a big thing because there's so many things gonna be thrown your way because a lot of the people that's gonna be coming to part of the work, they never heard of reform theology. They never heard of Calvin. <laughs> they never heard of Augustine. The only thing they heard of is, is 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 a Bible, and and so a lot of things is gonna be so new to them, and so um, they're gonna be coming in with different ideas and say, "Hey, we done this at our church. You know, can we do it over here?" And so um, having self-control and just trying to care for them and um, I mean, the worst thing you can do, man, is uh, kind of being a you know a jerk in the sense of um, not being charitable in, in your responses. Because uh, a lot of these things are new, you know, they are so new, and um, a lot of times we expect for everyone to to catch on to what is a healthy church from the jump. But a lot of them never even seen a healthy church, and so for us, is that. Um, you, got, you got to have self-control on how you respond and how you deal, deal with uh, people that's coming in that's never heard of um, uh, healthy churches and um, hospitable is key. Uh, a lot of things coming in from say from a suburb and coming into the inner city, a lot of things you might think is hospitable it might not just be hospitable. And so coming in and understanding the language and the culture and the nature and how to love that community Um, You got to do the work. Um, You got to do the work, and you will be tested daily, and you will face all different forms of uh, testing throughout the process when you go through it. And so, uh, but you got to be qualified to actually be a part of the work um, and doing the uh, church planning.
0: Uh, Creston, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this next question, especially because uh, Jimmy and I, Pastor different congregations that are established churches where we're in more of a revitalization situation. And so, um, of course, you are in a church plant situation, so I'm sure there could be some overlap, but we want to hear uh, what are some of the greatest blessings that a church planter experiences?
2: Uh, was, it, uh, was it challenges or blessings?
0: Uh, first, we'll do uh Challenges. <laughs>
2: Yeah, um I would say first thing off the jump, man, um uh we doing a, a pretty unique work. Um no, normally uh with with Eighty Nine, say confessional churches, um normally all over this country and if you go to different places, um, uh, even in Europe, mostly the time the 1689 Eighty Nine confessional churches are normally in say middle class and or suburbial. Um, um, I mean not to say this—I mean, all the cases I mean, that I know of. I know most of the cases is in the suburbia. So, um, for us, is that it's unique. Um, the challenge is that um, we we don't really have anybody that have done this before in 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 a particular context that we're done or that we're dealing with doing this work in. I'm I'm not saying that nobody has done it, uh, but I, I haven't met anyone that actually have dealt with uh, um, majority of the church and sits on a poverty line and. Um, just, um, just, uh, um, a lot of, um, uh, I mean, fatherlessness, um, uh, I think what myself included, I mean, and my wife, I mean, outside of that, I think pretty much all of our church members that started to work, uh, with us, um, they can go up with both parents in the home. And so for us trying to, um, communicate this and, and trying to argue though, is that, um, that, you know, the Eighty Nine, you know, planning a 1689 confessional church is it's not monolithic in a sense that uh, it, it, it has to just be suburbial. Um, it has to just be in, say, middle, upper class. I think, it, I think it can look totally different in a context and still be a, a church that holds on to the regulative principle of worship. And so I think the difficult thing about it is that, man, I mean, this is new. This is new to us. Um, it's not too much to read on this stuff and trying to work through it, and um, so I, I would say that's the, the the greatest challenge is trying to uh, pioneer this and and trying to do it uh, and not really having too many models to actually learn from and have seen it do uh, seen someone to do it before me. But I would say another challenge is uh, planning is uh, man not having another elder. Um, I, I would say is. Um, Man, it's difficult, man, myself included. Um, I've been working on this work. Uh, I'm, I'm the only elder in this work. And uh, I've been praying and praying for another elder. And, um, man, you, you will find out early in the process is that it's a beautiful picture, man, to be, uh, to be sent out by a church uh, and, say, in twos and threes and eldership. Um, it's so many needs that need to be cared for. And for one person to kind of meet, to try to carry that load, it's just impossible man. It's impossible for a person to do it by themselves. uh so many issues throwing your way that you're dealing with you know church discipline issues and um I mean you don't have anyone to talk to through these things and so um um so one of the challenges um is is going out playing the church um as a single elder or um i mean i was uh it it's, it's it can be very difficult by doing that um another challenge uh, I would say is um and I, like I mentioned a second ago, about um, planting church in a in a community with a lot of poverty. Um, I've been working myself. I've been working uh, full time as a uh, as an engineer, and so um, I don't take any money from the church uh, because um, the the church is already you say on a poverty line, and so. To get a church off the ground and, and trying to take money to to, to to take care of my family through the church um, it's it just to be impossible for us to get off the ground um, dealing with um, um, you know the resources that, that that we're limited to in our community and so uh, so one of the things about it is that um, like myself, I have to work a, a job and and, and a four time job to care for my family and so they take me away from really uh, wanting to have the intimacy and, and wanting to have more time to care for the sheep, sermon preparation. Um, just um, it, it's amazing work that we're doing, uh, but it, but it, it can be very difficult. Um, like I say, with uh, trying to work a four time job and also trying to um, pastor um, in, a, in a, in a, in an inner city that uh, like I say young man uh, never like I say had a father or, young ladies, uh, haven't had a father or a mother. And, uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, they, they need, they need a pastor. They need a pastor to be in their lives, to, to, to point them, to uh, point them daily back to the scriptures. And so, um, I mean, that brings about challenges, man, dealing with, I mean, especially the context that I'm actually working in here at the moment. And so, um, another, um, like I said, another third challenge, uh, another tra- challenge, I would say another third or fourth challenge, um, I would say, um. Uh, again, I kind of mentioned it first. Is this how does regulative principle look? How does it look? You know, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy the Trinity hymnals, uh, the Hymns of Grace. I love those hymns and things of that nature. But how how does that look in in, in an inner city context? Because um, uh, for for us, it's, it's 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 different. I mean, people seem diff- different. Um, and so it, it's kind of different how we do, how we go about it, trying to sing it. Um, and like saying, the inner city, uh, we got a little bit of faster rhythm, rhythm to it. And how does that sound? How does, how do we do it and still allow the, um, the focus to be on the words and on God, you know, on the scriptures. Um, that's something that we're trying to work through right now. Uh, not having a model, like say before us to be able to do it before us. And so. Um, uh, and the last thing with this question, I would say, the last thing I would mention is, um, the one of the challenges as well is not, you know, having another, I guess, like-minded in a sense of, I mean, we have Grace Bible Church, uh, but, uh, we have some, some good churches, say in Little Rock and different places. Um, uh, but, uh, it's kind of hard to find, you know, other other uh, pastors that you know that are um, that are uh, thinking the same way when we think confessionally and things of that nature. So uh, by starting to work, especially in you know in the southern part of um, in the U.S., it's kind of hard to really have some good accountability and some good encouragement on the ground with us, kind of pioneering a lot of what we're doing here in Arkansas.
1: Mm yeah as Austin said i mean there is there is much overlap in some respect with with our ministries, except for we're in established churches and and we're in the middle of nowhere rather than in the inner city yeah but um yeah, some of those challenges you stated definitely are unique um in respect to pioneering the work and i I commend you for doing that that is Awesome. And I, I do pray for your church ever since I met you. I've been praying for your church, but, uh, this Thank next you, question, Thank you. this next question is I, I'm excited to hear this one too. Um, because we could easily focus on the negatives and the difficulties and, and things of that nature, but what have been some of the blessings that you have experienced planning the church?
2: Man, um, you get to hear so many amazing testimonies um, of God's grace and and people lives. Uh, we we hear uh, so many situations, man. We get to just to be able to hear how God's sovereignty um, has worked in so many people lives, man. People have um, tried to commit suicide and multiple times, and the Lord' grace has brought them, you know, from death to life, man, and and uh, to be able to see um, how the Lord is working in the midst of um, um, and, and someone' life, like I say, this this um, this like never had a father, or mother, in the home and things of like that. Uh, just hear a testimony, man, that young men now wanna wanna get married. They they wanna be fathers. They wanna um, uh, live faithful lives, honoring to the Lord, and just to see how um how. How how the the spirit has been working in so many people's lives in our community, um, I'm speechless, man, to be able to see how it's happening. Um, we get to see God's work, even to see how God's graces work, in the sense of um, uh, for them uh, to be able to to um, share even more of their testimony, and share the gospel uh, with others in our community, and so we have seen a a great multiplication just to be able to see. Um, just amazing testimonies and, and sharing the testimony of how Christ has saved them. And, and for them going out into the community, man, and sharing the gospel with others um, right now, man, I don't know. I'm not doing anything. It's, it's, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's it's happening so quickly, man. There's just so many people uh, in our community that are, uh, that are coming into faith um, just because of uh, them hearing the doctrines of grace and things of like that. And so, um, Also, we're able to see um, through this, uh, through this amazing work uh, of planning a church like this, uh, we're able to see amazing work of sanctification. Um, After sitting upon exposition of preaching and and, um, how we are reading the word in the sense of uh, we're going through the Bible reading plan together as a church. Uh, We're going through, we do do catechism as a church and seeing uh, families doing cate, uh catechizing their their kids uh, hearing gunshots outside the door they on the floor doing catechism and so um i mean it's it's amazing to be able to see how it's like a wildfire that's happening in our community right now and uh to be a part of this um uh, I'm so undeserving of this and so um uh to be a part of um so many uh people that are interested and even uh college students that are interested in these doctrines of grace and and seeing um, how the, how these things, how these doctrines of grace, um, we we don't need any type of um, puppet shows and, you know, any other ways to try to bring people in. Um, God's word is enough. So it, it's a joy to be able to see that, um, you know, it doesn't, you know, the Lord doesn't have to use Creston. The Lord can going to build his church regardless of as Creston. And, and it's happened right before my eyes. And so, and, um, and and I also uh, celebrate another blessing is, man, we get to live life with each other. Um, we get to celebrate graduations together. Uh, we get to celebrate birthdays and, I mean, high school football, some of the, uh, one of the students, one of the kids uh, played. And so uh, we get to be in each other's house. I mean, some people pop up in my, my house through the week and just hang out, man, and just, we do life with each other, man, uh, right there in it, man. So we were right there in the middle of the trenches. And um, allowing people just to come over to my house, man, take your shoes off, man, go in my refrigerator, man. It's just, it's a blessing to be able to see um, the inner city just come right in. And we're just like a big family. And so it's just been a major blessing to be able to see what is happening uh, here at Christ the Redeemer.
0: Praise the Lord for that. And I found it particularly uh, praiseworthy when you said that you're catechizing your church members and in the church while you're hearing gunshots outside of the church. Praise the Lord for for what's going on and among you guys. Um, our next question is, what do church plants need from established churches, and how can established churches be an encouragement to church plants?
2: Man, um, I'll, I'll go back again. I, I would say, especially the Cincinnati Nine Churches, they're already a minority. Uh, and nantra is already a minority. I mean, all over the country. Um, I mean, around the world, um, we're a minority. Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> we're a minority in, this, in the 17th century. <laughs> we always been a minority. And I say, man, uh, I think we need to do a better job in a sense of, man, um, in the sense of, um, man, uh, being a, uh, a community of, um, uh, to reaching out to like works like what we're doing because um, we are already a minority and already, I mean, like I say, if it is one or two eighty-nine confessional churches around the country, um, I mean, I would say, I mean, we need to plant more. We need more confessional churches. And, uh, uh, and I think it's, it's that time. I think it's that time to consider these things because right now our country and places get more and more urbanized. And so, uh, when are we going to actually um, see how how does this confession look in a contest is different? And uh, so, I think about, you know, um, I think I went out there. Um, I think about, uh, for example, um, uh, William Carey. Uh, William Carey, uh, how he went over to India, and for him, uh, he went over and he um, he learned the language, the Bengali language. And he, he went into the community, he learned the language, he did the work, he did the hard work. And I think it's a major hard work. And for us is that um, to plant churches like we're doing in inner city, um, we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. It's, it's, a, it's a very difficult, uh, de- very difficult work. Um, I can say, um, trying to get it off the ground. Um, and so what, what can happen? What can they help doing this first man praying? praying regularly for the work that is happening, um, regularly checking on the church planner, checking on the church planner, um, if possible, also creating an environment, even at their churches, creating an environment for members willing to wanting to come to be a part of the work, um, creating an atmosphere in the church to be able to see, um, be able to see the need for more inner city churches. And so, um, and, and church plants that are happening, that are confessional churches. Um, be open to, to sending some members, man, to, hey, um, man, we want to see this happen. We want more confessional churches around. So why can't we just, you know, maybe we can partner up and send some members and send some people to help out in the work. Um, and so I would say uh, the best thing you can do is, um, I mean, financially, we hear that as lots of good thing. But I think that mostly is this mostly getting on the ground, getting on the ground, and, and getting your hands dirty, and, um, and, and and it's gonna be hard because um, you're gonna have to, like I said, you're gonna have to, you know, the, the, just the language. You know, I would even say uh, the la- the inner city is his own people group. It's his own people group. The, the language is totally different. Um, the food is different. Um, like I say, if it doesn't, if it, if it doesn't raise your blood pressure uh it's not good it's not good it it doesn't taste good and so um so i mean even coming in and and um and seeing just so many different things man with different uh, uh backgrounds um I, I think it's um it's needed to actually do the hard work come into the city and see that the work is actually hard so uh, so established work work i mean established churches uh it would be good man uh if you know a church planner uh you know someone out there is planning church a confessional church um, man um make that a, a kind of a priority in the sense of outside of other things um of other um work that you're doing inside the church try, try to regularly man uh, to 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 spend time with that planner um to be able to better um see the needs of that planner and 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 see also uh, some things that the planner might not notice that, uh, you probably can assist or encourage a planter, um, some things that he might not have seen or coming down the road by being an experienced pastor.
1: Can you give us a, a narrative of, of the process of planting Christ the Redeemer church, just how it began and and where it has gone since then?
2: Yeah, man. Um, my, um, the way we plan it, like I say, was just so unique. Um, I thank the Lord for, I mean, how it, you know, who we are today. Uh, but I mean, looking back at it, man, I would do a lot of things over uh, if I could, if I do it again. Um, for, for us, uh, like I said, I took a job when I was at the Reformed Church of Louisville. Um, uh, like I say, it was just a blessing being there. I learned so much they poured to my family. But when I took a job to come home and to, to Pine Bluff, Arkansas, to, to be in my family, uh, for us, when we came back, we saw our need of a church. And then it was kind of, it, it became kind of unique. It, it wasn't a actually church that's kind of sent me out at this time now. It was now is that we had to actually kind of find a church and be a part of a church and, um, and, and, and try to allow that church to actually eventually see um, you know, see the qualifications there and things to like that, and uh, but you know, being at the confessional churches, a lot of times, um, a, a lot of churches, you know, doesn't see the importance of those things, and so um, for us, we were kind of in a unique position, and so we we joined a church uh, here in town, and uh, when we joined the church, um, we already had a heart for the for the inner city, and, and we knew the church wasn't reformed. Um, the church was Calvinist. The buzzard wasn't reformed. And so, uh, for us, we were kind of in a unique position is that we can drive an hour and a half, uh, to grace, uh, Bible church. Um, um, or we can actually just be a part of a, a church here in town and just pray that eventually we can get a word started here in our city. And so, so yeah, so we, we joined a church and, um, the Lord just started to bless us right? right after we joined that church. Um, um, I just started to serve and just uh, do the the dirty work, the grunt work in a sense of um, getting into the inner city, meeting uh, so many young men. And uh, and also what we used to do, I, I started to help out at the public schools. Um, I started to do a lot of tutoring and started assisting with um, me getting to know the teachers. And, um, and another thing too I did was, um, I started doing devotionals at the, at the nursery home, just started serving at the nursery home and just, just really just surveying the land and just trying to see, um, what's the needy, you know, what's, um, what's the need in our community in the sense of, is it the gospel? I mean, is it gospel centered churches already? So I would just had a little time just to really survey it for a while. Then all of a sudden, um, we started to get a work going and, and, um, and the church that was uh, was uh, actually uh, working a part of uh, they wanted to actually um for them they wanted to bring in some um you know uh well let me let me step back in our city in Pine Bluff um uh, Pine Bluff used to be about 50 50 whites and blacks um the it was about 50 50 whites and blacks uh, the industry was blooming at the time um Pine I mean we we were thriving and we was on the mount for real so even the, uh, they used to have a thing called the King Cotton Classic. Uh, Michael Jordan, he actually came to Pine Bluff and played uh, here in Pine Bluff as well. And so this city was thriving with different businesses uh, for, for a while. Then all of a sudden, um, say, 19, the late, say, the early 2000s, um, you know, we started to see our a decline in the city. A lot of industry and businesses started leaving then we had this major thing, I mean, this major thing started happening called the white flight. A lot of whites start leaving, going into retirement places like Hot Springs, Arkansas, and start going to places like Fayetteville, Arkansas. And so what happened is that a lot of predominantly white churches, a lot of them, um, they start to lose a lot of members. They're starting to die out because of, um, so many people start to leave because of the industry and things start to change around our community. And so um, so the church that we were actually uh, a part of, uh, for them, they're starting to see the changes for themselves. And for them wanting to move towards in the sense of that, hey, our city is going to be predominantly African-American here soon. And so we're going to have to make some type of difference. And actually, uh, in a sense of uh, bringing about African-Americans in the church for us to survive. Uh, but for me, I, I saw that kind of in a sense of kind of disturbing, in a sense, because um, I, I think if... Um, If we're gonna wait until we die out, and actually now, and that's trying to see, now we gotta see how to reach the African Americans. um, You know, I I just don't see that approach being biblical. Um, I think for us uh, as believers, we are all called to take the gospel to everyone. And so um, regardless of, you know, political or race or background, um, I mean, how how are we establishing uh, environment that we want to reach the laws to reach those that are different from us around us I mean you can't <laughs> you can't wake up one morning and say hey you know I want, a, I want a black pastor I want a multi-ethnic church I think that has to happen 15 to 20 years ahead I think you got to already start working towards that I know um, I mean and if some of the members are just not going to be there at the moment it's going to take patience you're going to take time and so uh, for us is that it was just um for us, you know, having opportunities at that particular church, for us that was gonna be difficult for us. For us Ash- for it was gonna be difficult for us to uh, to actually um to try to say bring in all black people over here and, and do that. It, it was it was kind of very interesting in the whole process. And so but at the same time though for them wanting to reach African American, we don't want to slow their work up either at that church. And so the church actually um they they actually um allow us to start a Bible study and allowed us to actually turn that Bible study into a church plant. And so it was a very unique situation. And so we started a Bible study and eventually uh, the church and I kinda agreed to, hey, Crescent is doing a great work. Um, so let us um uh, let us just allow him to go ahead and do his thing with a great work with a Bible study. And so we did a Bible study for about so for about a year. We started doing the work for about a year and then um, after about a year, Um, the Lord just started bringing people, like I say, within that year, the Lord was bringing people uh, to the work. Then eventually um, a year later, uh, we constituted uh, Christ the Redeemer Church in the process. And uh, we got with um, uh, Jim Sebastio and, like I say, Jeff Johnson there and Grace Bible. And um, they, um, both churches came together and it came down. And it was a part of our constitutional service and for us too is that um uh, we constituted as a um, a confessional church as well and so we want that to be already in our constitution that um that this church is going to be a confessional cisnated non church and so um and we want to go ahead and set that um from the from the get go uh because before uh, we get too far in the in in, in the church we want to already let the church know and uh, what the rest was actually trying to go with the actual church. And so, um, so we don't want to hold things back um, from anyone. We want to let be straightforward up front. That is a reformed confessional church. And so, um, so for us, that's kind of how we started. And so we got... other church... Um, Another church, uh, when we constituted, uh, heard about the work we were doing, and they were dying out. And for them, um, they had a massive building. And it's a huge church they had at the time, and they only had a couple members left in the church. And they heard about my heart for the city of Pine Bluff, and that we want to reach uh, one block at a time with the gospel. And they heard the work, and for them, after they heard the word, they were sold on the work. And they said, hey, we're dying out. And uh, we want to just give our building to you guys. And so we had a church that used to sit over, I think, 700 people. And they said, hey, you know, uh, we want to give this church to you. And we're like, hey, it's only like 10 of us, 12 of us. It's work. How are we going to care for this, you know, 600, you know, 600, this building that can fit 600 people? How can we care for this entire building? And um, so we prayed about it as a uh, a young church when we we were constituted. And we took the church, and, um, and we just used a small bit of room in the church to try to knock down the actual finances, I mean, the, the utilities and things of that nature. And, uh, and so we took the building, um, and so we took the building, and I think from that point on, um, I think we just started forming more and more into a actual, um, to actual church um, from that point on.
0: Uh, you mentioned that whenever you constituted, you constituted as a 1689 confessionally reformed church. So with that said, why is it so important to have a confessional uh, confession of faith as a church plant and what unique challenges have uh, subscribing to the second line of confession brought to Christ, the redeemer church?
2: Yeah. Um, one thing about the importance of a uh, confession is um um, those guys that came before us uh, that would um, already lay the work, the foundation for us. Um, it, I mean, those guys know what they were doing. Um, they dealt with a lot of, let uh, say, in the second and third century, um, things with Arianism, uh, things with uh, dealing with um, all type of uh, anthropomorphisms, uh, all the things, modalism, all those things that we know of that the early church was actually addressing. Um, I tell you what, those same things are in our community today. And so with a confession, um, these guys, uh, the sister Nine confession and uh, all of a sudden didn't just come up by itself. Um, uh, this confession has a, a line of lineage of the, uh, the first London confession. And it goes back to many other, um, say creeds that Ashley has adopted from, um, the Nicene creed. Uh, um, we have the, um, the Council of Chalcedon. Uh, we have so many different confessions and statements of faith that, uh, that has addressed so many different issues that have came before us. And one group that is, that is growing like crazy right now is the Black Hebrew Israelites. And it's growing like crazy. And, and for them, um, they are struggling with how to deal with, in the sense of the law, and how to deal with the covenants, uh, and how to deal with all these things. And so the, the confession... Uh, the Nine Confession has a, a chapter on the the covenant of uh, the covenants. It has uh, h- how these gospels came before us has addressed the uh, the, the things other on the covenant, and um, so uh, the, the the confession it brings in a sense of uh, a healthy church, and we don't have to go redo another work or we don't have to make our own work. It helps out tremendously by having a church that's uh, just grabbing from a confession. And again, the, the confession, and like the first chapter of the London Baptist, that the, the, the confession points us right back to scriptures. Um, the scriptures, are, I mean, the confession is not over scriptures. It points us right back to scriptures. Um, that The confession is not inerrant. Uh, it's not infallible. But it points us back to what is infallible, what is inerrant, and it's God's word. And so we hold firm to God's word. And we also you know even Deuteronomy 6, you know, as the actual creed. Um, and we know all throughout the scriptures, we know there was creed throughout the scriptures. And I think the early church guys in, 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 in the second and third century, they saw it in the scriptures, the importance of creeds. I'm not trying to add to scriptures, but as issues came along, they addressed the issues and they wrote these things down, what these issues were. And these things uh, that they wrote down, they have passed them today to bring about healthy churches. With you. Uh, the confession kind of make you lazy sometimes, man, because so many issues that I'm faced with, um, I can go right to the confession and see what the confession says about it and say, and it starts me off to how to address a no type of heresy that comes up in my community. Um, so, uh, but another reason that I would say it's important, especially from the jump, to have a confession of faith. Is that you're gonna, you're, when you plant a church from the get-go, the church's gonna be very attractive in the community. Um, a lot of people has never heard of um, what you're doing before. A lot of people want to join and jump or get a part of it because it's it's a nest, you know, nest up and coming thing, and they want to hear about it, want to be a part of it. So what a confession does though is that it helps out tremendously in the sense of letting people know up front that we're not holding our hands behind our back. We let them know up front that, hey, we are a confessional reformed church. And so at, at the jump, when I wasn't telling everybody we, was com- we were confessional, a lot of people that was coming and wanting to help our work. Once they heard that we was assassinating our confession, many churches told me, hey, let, get rid of the confession. Get rid of the confession, then we'll support you guys financially. Because um, our members and everything, we're just not there um, our church is not there in the sense of their, um, doctrinally. So, um, we just don't know if that'd be good for us to support you guys. And, um, can you guys just use the, the Baptist faith the message, and just be by itself? And so we said, you know, no, we want to also use the Cincinnati nine confession and a lot of churches kind of like, Hey, you know, we just let us know when you guys want to, you know, get rid of that confession of faith. And, um, not only that, I have messed with other guys that have pastored churches before, and they want to know more about the church. And I met with them for you know, say weeks and weeks and weeks, and um, and all of a sudden they want to be a part of the work. Then eventually, after months pass, then I come on and come out and say, "Hey, we're a the church." Next thing you know, they you know they might want to break off from a part of the work. So I would say the best thing you can do as a church planner be straight up let let the guys know that you're a confessional church. You don't have to wear your Cincinnati non-confessional t-shirt every every day you meet with with somebody. But I would say be honest, let them know up front because um, you don't want to have to lose so many people down the road because you're trying to hold back and everything from them. Um, hold back from them.
1: Um, what resources would you recommend to somebody who is aspiring to be a church planner or someone who was already a seasoned church planner, what's some good resources for them to read?
2: Um, I, I would say we need from, and this would be my, this would be my uh, shout today Would be, we need more in the, um, especially in the confessional reform Baptist world. We need some guys to write some books. We need more books uh, from in a sense of from the Reformed Baptist perspective. I think we have so many different perspectives on church planning, but we are very in a sense of it's very limited on church planning within Reformed Baptists. Um, you have some work on um, like say from Presbyterians and other guys that are that are not that 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 are not Reformed Baptists that I mean some pretty good works. Uh, but we, we, don't, we don't have uh, 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 enough resources within Reformed Baptist. So we are very limited on resources with re- before, um, within Reformed Baptist. So, so anybody out there, man, that are looking at PhDs and things of that nature, uh, let us see some works, man, on some reform, planning Reformed Baptist churches. Uh, but some works uh, that I think that has been very helpful for, for what we've been doing is um, uh, Reformed Pastor by Richard Baxter. Um, that has been really good for us. Um, for me, just uh, reading it for myself and also trying to raise up young men. Um, another work uh, that's been really good for church planting us has been Charles Bridges' work on Christian ministry. Um, another one would be Dangerous Calling by uh, Tripp. Uh, Thabiti, uh, he's done a major good work on actually church membership. And that's been a really good work uh, on church membership because um, when people came part of our work, they didn't know what membership was. I mean, we could just bounce from church to church, church to church, and so the Beatty has done a great job in his writing. Uh, he done a good another good book too. It's called Reviving the Black Church, and so and what he does with that work is that um, let's go back to the basis in the inner city churches that we need more, in a sense, of plurality of elders. Um, you have so many women that are that are preaching in a lot of churches, the pastor in churches. Let's go back to the biblical model of church uh, church government, um, church leadership. Uh, let's go back in a sense of to the scriptures, uh, to regular to principle. And so Tabidi have done a great work in communicating what we're doing in our inner city. Um, another work will be uh, the, the, the non-Marx books. Um, Mark Dever and non Mars has been a great job and been a great help in what we're doing here um, at our church and, and what we're doing here. And also, I think heritage books, I think heritage books, uh, Reformation heritage books, they put a book on, out on um, how to plan a reformed church. Um, I think that's a, a pretty good resource you can take from it. And so, uh, those are just a couple of resources that we have, I mean, that I've, I have used and things that uh, I think Mass McConnell, there's one, Church in Heart Places, um, that has been good. And um, uh, a, la- a last, one, last one in our contest was really been helpful too. It's a book called uh, Manhood Restored by Eric Mason. Um, it's done a really good book. Uh, he's pointing uh, to the true man. For a lot of these men that haven't had fathers in their home, that we're uh, witnessing the gospel to, It pretty much saying that the model of manhood is Christ himself. And so that entire book is so Christocentric. It's pointing man uh, right back to the Christ as the true uh, biblical man. And so those are just a couple of resources that I can think of off top.
0: What final encouragements do you have uh, for our listeners as it relates to this important topic that we've been- scu- discussing that being church planting
2: yeah man um regardless of- co- cultural challenges uh we have a a, a great gospel um, we we have a gospel to penetrate the hardest of the hearts when you start trying to use pragmatism and other different ways to try to, uh, to bring people into the church. Um, what's going to happen is that, uh, especially for a single elder, n- now you have a, a church in the sense of, you thought it was going to be a church without sheep, but you have a church that in the sense of is mostly goats. And, and what happened is that you got s- so many things all over the place. And whatever you did to get them in there, whatever you use, pragmatic way is, you know, blowing balloons up and, and letting them, blow, um, waving them in the air, or whatever the case may be, bouncy house, whatever you're doing to try to get people to try to, to try to come into the church. That's the same thing you got you're gonna have to do to try to keep them in the church. And so I would I would encourage you know, those that are considering planting, um, let God's word to do it. Uh, let a church be founded on on, on sola scriptura, on, on scriptures alone. Let God' word, in the sense of lead a church, and uh, and by allowing God to do that, you bring up, it's going to bring about a healthy, beautiful church um, by allowing um, the scriptures and um, to regulate how to bring about an actual church. But the gospel is enough, family. The gospel is enough to be able to reach any community. Um, like I say, it don't matter if it's black, white, whatever community is, the gospel is actually enough to reach those different communities with it. So, so I encourage uh, those that are considering church planning is that, um, um, be rooted in the gospel. Um, and also, um, whatever context you go in, um, go in and uh, with a posture, a posture of humility. Um, it might be a context that you're not familiar with. Um, and like I said earlier, you might sing different. You might look different. Go there in the sense of a posture to, to learn in a language, you're just like William Carey. And by doing that, um, um, by doing that, you, you can be able to use the same confession of faith um, that we use, the Cincinnati Nine, in any context. Um, not just suburbia. The Cincinnati 89 is beautiful in any context. Uh, The reason why people try to put a cultural mark on it, because we don't have enough planners that are planning in different cultures that allow us to see what a Cincinnati Nine Confessional Church look like in a different context. Uh, So hopefully our work, what we're doing here in Pine Bluff, can be a model that can help other church planners in the future that are considering being a confessional church uh, in the inner city.
1: Amen. Amen. Um if people were wanting to learn more about and and find ways to support you not only financially just to support and get to know you um where can people look to find about find out about the work of Christ the Redeemer Church
2: Yeah yeah uh, you can hit us hit us up on www.ctrc.church again ctrc.church um, check our website out, uh, my information on there to get to know me. Look at the work, what we're doing um, 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 on our website. We have plenty of information, the kind of ministry we got going on. Um, um, this weekend, actually, we have, I mean, um, on October the 31st, uh, we have set up a, um, a Reformation conference. And what we're going to be doing with that is uh, we're going to bring in a couple of speakers all over the state and trying to introduce them. Also, we're going to have a panel on why we need more confessional churches in the state of Arkansas. And so um, um, so our website has information about the conference that we're going to be doing on the five solas, um here on October the 31st. So check us out. Hit me up. Um, like I said, I can't wait to get to know you guys. Can be able to connect with anyone. Um, come get to know us, man. Um, we'd love to meet you guys.
0: Well, Creston, we want to thank you for your willingness to take your time for this important conversation, and we commend the work that the Lord is doing through you at Christ the Redeemer Church. So thank you so much for coming on today.
2: Hey, thank you, brother. Man, it's a pleasure, man. And uh, like I say, uh, thank you guys again for the opportunity.
0: And to our listeners, we want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check
1: out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.